This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast in association with Big Heads Media, as you've already heard, and Transfer News Central. Co-host rotation this week, decided to get rid of the usual crew for the Varvel Spectacular. Um, Callum and Edmund, my senior exec team at Varvel, joining this week. How are you both doing, fellas? Very good. Been a good weekend. Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, I asked that question like we've not had a chat beforehand, but, you know, just for the formality's sake <laughs> yeah. um, in many ways. And hopefully the start of many things with some exciting Varvel projects coming on. Maybe a podcast down the line. This could be the very pilot that people were looking for when we become famous in four, five, six years' time. That's Sorry, four, five months' time. That pre-season, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, using this format, 15-minute topics, not 15-minute podcast, as some people ask. Uh, if it goes over slightly, I usually uh, point to the fact that 60-minute makeover was never actually done in 60 minutes. It was just made like that for show and easy marketing purposes. So we're going to go on to the first of our topics, which is quite topical, as it should be, Champions League. Callum's a big Leicester fan, writes about Leicester, and, you know, he, he lives and breeds the Foxes. Leicester were in pole position for top four players for a very long time. It's come under threat slightly with a bit of deja vu from last season. Given that West Ham also didn't have a particularly good result on the day of recording today, which is Sunday, against Everton, you feel a little bit better despite the difficult running? I think, if anything, it's more frustrating because not only was it a game that was a great opportunity, it's a game that you should be winning on paper. I mean, how many times this season have Newcastle not turned up, been really poor? I mean, credit to them. They were excellent on Friday. It's probably one of the best displays they've put in there for a long, long time. But I think it makes it all the more frustrating because it's just that extra week, isn't it? And it's sort of, you know, the last three games have been well documented about just how hard they are. For Leicester. Um, so I think there is a general air of frustration, but also a slight sigh of relief. I think there'll be a few players who played on Friday that will be quite happy with that result that they've got away with the way they play, but quite simply, Leicester need to improve these last three games. Absolutely. I mean, concur with everything you just said, but from, from my point of view, and I'm sure from yours, Edmund, I think that um, Leicester getting top four is still a remarkable achievement if they managed to do it. They were so close last season. This season, again, very, very close, but some very difficult fixtures um, to finish the season. But if they do make top four, they've essentially, first of all, broken apart the proverbial top six for the second season. And secondly, I mean, we we can't deny how good an achievement that would be. Even we talk about bottling, but it's a phenomenal thing that Brendan Rodgers has managed to conjure at Leicester. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of made a, a shambles of the of the breakaway Super League, wasn't it? Is that Leicester have been so good this season. You know, I watched them against Palace the other week and even though they weren't at their best, they still managed to grind out the result. And that's sort of the sign of a team that do deserve Champions League football. Obviously, you weren't fantastic on, on Friday night, but I think, I, I don't know what the uh, the result of Johnny Evans' injury is. Obviously, he's a big miss. But I think you should have enough and the gap's big enough for you to see it out. Yeah, I think I think that was perfect to touch on the Johnny Evans injury. Such a key player. It's amazing that Louis van Gaal let him leave Manchester United for such a small fee all those years ago. Um, 
What, what's, what's your take on that then? If Evans is indeed out for maybe the final few matches, I mean, it's obviously a big blow, but is it something Leicester should be able to overcome or, or would you be seriously concerned about the defence without Evans? I think, judging by, I think he has to play a back four if Evans isn't there. I think that was shown on Friday. I mean, I think everyone was quite surprised that if he wasn't a state in the back three, Marty would have started normally. So it was very surprising to see Castagne, who's so much better out on the on the flanks. Obviously, Pereira was there. And he brought in all Brighton. So the overwhelming thing was that he was going to move back to a four, but he stayed in the three for me. I think that sort of threw off the players a little bit in a way. Like, I think, you know, Soyuncu and Fafana didn't look comfortable at all. You know, they've both been excellent this season, but both of them were, I think they had the worst games for a long, long time. So I think when he goes to United on Tuesday, I'd be really surprised if he still plays a back three, especially judging on the way it was against Newcastle and obviously Man United, no disrespect to Newcastle, are going to be a better side, albeit whatever they line up with their congested fixture list as well. Um, Evans is massive. You know, I think three and a half million has to be one of the bargains, of, one of the best value for money signings, especially considering that January before Manchester City and Arsenal putting in hefty bids for him and getting them turned down. So it, he's, he's detrimental. He's really important. And I think that showed on Friday. I think whilst we may not have necessarily won, I think there would have just been a lot more fluidity and the back three would have been a lot more solid because he's just such a, he's such a great influence to have amongst two still quite young centre-halves who haven't played too much together as a two. So, yeah, it, it was such a massive loss for us. Mm. And you do need your experienced heads at the crucial part of the season, I suppose. Um, do you buy into the uh, bottling mentality or deja vu element of last season, Edmund? Do you think that's just you know me hyped up in the media beyond comprehension, really? Well, you talk about having the experienced heads, and I think from there... Obviously, it was failure really not to get a Champions League football last season. Play a lot of the players would have learnt from that, and having Johnny Evans there would have would have probably helped. But you know, you still have a lot of experienced players in the squad. Vardy will obviously uh, g up the dressing room along with Schmeichel, and Ian Nacho still scoring goals. I think even though you do have a really tough run going into these final, is it final games of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah final. I still think you'll um, you'll you'll see it out, and Liverpool Liverpool will probably just miss out on it. I think one of the reasons why there is maybe a bit of uh, trepidation from like, from the perspective of Leicester fans is just watching how well Chelsea are doing at the moment. I mean, Chelsea's one of those games, obviously one of the one of the three final games. And when you listen to this, it might be one of the two final games because this season is just so congested, isn't it? The, the end of the season. But I mean, let, Chelsea is remarkable where they've come from under Thomas Tuchel in such a short period of time. I, I've tweeted this sort of a, a, a hybrid of Pep Guardiola with his tactical um, excellence and and Jurgen Klopp with his man management and his charisma in the media, Thomas Tuchel. And you can't deny what a job he's done. I mean, do they become, I mean, we assume they get top four now, it's looking that way. But going on to next season, they are, they've gone from Champions League hopefuls to realistic title challenges, haven't they, under his management? Mm. I think they can bridge the gap to Manchester City, definitely. I think they still need another striker, but I also think, as shown by that West Brom game, some people might say it's a freak of nature, but I think 
you know, Tuchel's hit the ground running straight away. You know, he's he's a good manager for. Re- There's a reason why he's been charged of PSG and Borussia Dortmund. He, he's good at what he does, and he's always been known for being a defensively solid manager. Something that they struggled to do under Lampard. You know, with Chelsea, the key is if if you let them score early, then chances are you're going to lose one nil because he's not sort of a all guns blazing attacking manager. He he just likes to get the goal, you know. And when you've got people like Thiago Silva in your ranks at the back line, you've got a player like N'Golo Kante, who's essentially two men and two men, you know. And even Werner, to some extent, he's not prolific in front of goal this season, but I do think he'll come good in the long term. And I think his contributions, you know, still got twenty goals and assists in terms of contributions, and he. he he plays a large part in that, the way he runs runs in the channels, the way he plays across the three. And I think Tuchel's found that sort of balance. I think they need another striker and I still maybe feel like he might go for a keeper or another centre-half. But um, they, they are very good. I still don't think they'll win the league next season. Mm. So the gap to Man City is just too big. I think they'll close it though and I think it will be a lot closer than what it is. But um, no, I think he's, he's been fantastic and... You know, you know, maybe if he was here all season, we might be talking about the title race. But what he's done in such a short space of time, and now there's even people making favourites to the Champions League final game in a couple of weeks' time. Get on to that in a second. But they are top four. Certain. I think they are the most nailed on for the top four outside of Manchester United and Manchester City, aren't they? They are the most informed team in Europe at the moment. And you know, I watched them at Palace a few weeks ago. And I, I was in awe of the way they were playing. They, they nullified every single threat that we had. Granted, we don't have many, but <laughs> the way that they did it and the, they drowned the midfield and it doesn't, you know, with Kante and Jorginho and Kovacic, it doesn't even look like there's many players on the pitch. And with Bernie, he's kind of frustratingly brilliant in the way he does things. He's making the moves, he's making the runs. You know, it's, is it sloppiness that, you know, his offside goal during the week against... Uh, against uh, Real Madrid but at the same time he's still getting in the positions and I think his XG I, I don't know what your views on XG of his XG is still phenomenal so he's he's he, he will come good maybe you know at Leipzig he had so many opportunities that he he had the opportunity to put away that many goals and mm-hmm. it's maybe he does need someone alongside him going forward if they're really going to challenge for the title but I think next season they'll be there or thereabouts but same for you, you think, you imagine they're going to get third or fourth quite easily. Yeah, 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 third probably, yeah. Yeah, um, which, which which makes fourth really up for debate. I mean, that's why Leicester are a bit concerned, as I said, because Chelsea look like they're getting third. The, the teams below, I mean, West Ham were looking at one point impenetrable, but then injuries piled up. And against my team, Burnley last weekend, they got Mikel Antonio and Aaron Cresswell back and they played really, really well. At which point I thought, they could get. They could actually get this now. Maybe if Declan Rice gets a game in before the end, they are in really good. And then they lose to Everton today. So symptomatic of a crazy season, I suppose. But irrespective of that, what the job that David Moyes has done with a team that many thought were relegation candidates is truly remarkable, isn't it? It's a it's a fairy tale story. If they got fourth, there's an argument he could be manager of the year. Period. Well, yeah, I completely agree. I think there was a lot of people, myself included, touted West Ham for not having the best seasons this year. The way they ended last year, there was a really toxic atmosphere about the club. There was a lot of people sort of demanding that they go and spend this money. And, you know, they, they went and brought in players, you know, a lot like on paper, like Sue Fowler and Craig Dawson. On paper, they looked underwhelming signs, but those two amongst others have been 
magnificent. I mean, we, we talk about Rice is now sort of an established member of the England squad, sort of a lot of people fighting for a signature. You've got Antonio, you've got Suchek, who's been remarkable to watch. And I think even if they don't get top four, I still think he should be in with a shout of manager of the season. I think when you take a side who were tipped for relegation, they didn't start off the season as well, particularly well. But he's sort of galvanised this team and it, it sort of reminds me of Moyes at Everton and that they were never the best team, but they're almost they're always one of those teams that you enjoy watching and you, you know, it, sort of you enjoy your team playing against them because you can respect that they play good football and they play it in a nice way. And I think it, even if they get Europa League and they don't get the Champions League, I think it's a fantastic achievement. And I think what he's done there has been nothing short of brilliant. And, you know, the question is now is, can they keep it going for the long term or is this just a flash in the pan sort of thing mm. you think that the injuries that piled up recently and have sort of stagnated that that momentum do you think that's going to be the thing really that stopped them in the tracks or is it reality that stopped them in the tracks a little bit at this end, at the end of the season i think it's you know we were mentioning about leicester and having the experienced heads they don't west ham don't necessarily have the players who are who know how to see out the results which are going to get them Champions League football in the end. I still think Europa League, you know, I, I tipped them to go down this season. I think it was when they sold Grady D and Garner, wasn't it? Yep. It was when the, the revolt happened and Mark mm-hmm. Noble came out on Twitter. You know, the club looked like they were in such a mess. And maybe not having the fans there has helped them this season because it is, you know, I, I went to, I was lucky enough to go to the London Stadium and it's a bit like a fishbowl in the, in the <laughs> nicest way. You know, you feel so far away from the ground and it's, it doesn't feel like home. I could imagine it doesn't feel like home. Mm. So I think, Still, Europa League, a fantastic achievement for David Moyes and that team in general. And it's a, it's a true testament to the job he's done. So just by that admission from both of you, you don't think West Ham are going to get fourth now? They do no, have a nice run in there. I, I, do, yeah, I, I do think with West Ham, they're very much like Leicester. They do have sort of like a, blunt, a blip in them. You know, on, pa- like exact, on paper, the, the running is easy. Mm-hmm. But... You know, West Brom might still have a slim chance of staying up when they come to play. I probably don't think they will. Very, very slim. But, you know, mm. you never know. Well, even if they've gone down, you know, these teams just have this sort of weird fight, don't they, when they just sort of wake up and react. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 nice. it's yeah. There's nothing on West Ham's. It's not West Ham's to lose. But at the same time, you know, they, they might feel disappointed, but I don't think they should if they don't get it. Yeah, there is a there is a bit of life, I suppose, where the team has gone down. Sometimes they just they play without the, with the shackles off, don't they? I suppose so. There is that as well. Um, we haven't mentioned them, so it makes sense to end the the um, this topic by mentioning them. And that's I think Liverpool are actually the most likely at the moment to steal that fourth place. Um, if they can get the better of a United team that could be exhausted by the end of this week, and then they go into the two final games, one against. You know the mighty Crystal Palace and uh, one against my team Burnley. Theoretically, there's no reason I don't think why they couldn't get nine points. If theoretically, whether they do or not is you know that's a different story. But their first eleven is as good as it gets, and while they don't have the centre backs available, they do have stellar quality at the top of the pitch. Two of the best fullbacks in Europe, one of the best goalkeepers in Europe best central defensive midfielder in Europe, and Thiago, who's done really well as well. So you can't really bet against them, can you, in, in these latter stages? I think the problem is it's not in their own hands at the mm. moment. That's, and that's going to be ultimately their downfall. I think 
you know, getting Jota back is fantastic. He's been an incredible signing. I, I didn't think that when he was at Wolves, he would be, you know, he'd have this sort of effect on Liverpool when they signed him. So, um, and Thiago's just started to kind of find his feet and they've sort of sorted out the, the centre-back partnership as well, even though it's not Van Dijk. They still, they do have some players there. So, um, but ultimately, no, it's not in their own hands and I don't think, I don't think they'll make it. Is it top four as it is then, from both of you? For me, yeah. Yeah? Just about. I think it will go to the last day, but mm. I think it will just about. Hod- Hodgson will want revenge as well for the 7 0. He keeps the, he yeah. kind of mentions it every week at the moment. So it's something that really eats him away. And do, do you, think, you think they will get revenge yeah. just, just briefly? Um, we do all right against Liverpool. Well, we have done in the past. So it's mm. not recently, but we have done in the past. So it's um, maybe, maybe. Might be his last game. Might be his oh, last game. Poor all right then. I mean, that sort of summarises that. You both think the top four will stay as they are, which is, uh, which is good. Um, I guess uh, I wanted a bit of deliberation, but never mind. Um, so, on to the next one then, really, which is rounding off finals and rounding off. I had two finals penciled down: the FA Cup, the Champions League, but make it three with the Championship, which was very exciting. I suppose this weekend in the playoff final, um, that will happen after the after the playoffs have been played. But we'll go to the FA Cup. Callum, because it features your team, it features Chelsea as well. We've both discussed both of them uh, already a little bit. Um, how are you feeling about that one? Because it's to me, I mean, if Leicester turn up as they have done at times this season, then it could be a very, very entertaining game. But if they turn up like they did last Friday night, uh, as though they'd been to your birthday celebrations, then it could be a could be a bit of a whitewash from Thomas Tuchel's men. It's it's. Probably the biggest game in the club's history bar title season. We've never won an FA Cup. Um, we've, the only team has been in more than one final and not win it. So for a large proportion of the fan base, this is their be-all and end-all, myself included. I think whatever level you're at, winning the trophy is amazing. And, you know, we haven't had a cup final as such. We've had the Community Shield, but I don't count that as a proper final. This is the first proper final we've had the new Wembley you know it's such a shame that not everyone's going to get to witness it in person but it's there's overwhelming feels of nurse because it's almost like a there isn't a better time and sort of the way we have played against the better sides the big six or whatever this season gives me that confidence and I feel like there's a bit of whilst they didn't show it on Friday I think in comparison to last year there is a bit more fight and determination sort of spirit in this team there's been games this season where we would have lost but we've drawn or we've won and I just think like it's a cup final you everything goes out the window it's quite simply just what happens on the day mm. I think it, you know if, if if we can do it this year it's, it's amazing and then if we add that onto the top four as well then it's the perfect season almost and just as a quick tag question for that would you rather have the top four or an FA Cup uh, trophy We'll have both, so yeah, right. okay, fair enough. That's very optimistic. <laughs> Come back to that one. Um, we, we don't have either of them, but um, yeah. clip, clip that for later. Yeah. To be enough. yeah, that's a clip for later already, but um, yeah, I'll probably have the cup in all honesty, really, at the top. just because it's, it's silverware, isn't it? And we'd still be in Europe, whilst mm. it'd be in. I still think about Palace losing the FA Cup all the time. Yes, not, that, not that it haunts me, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a massive achievement in the club's history. Mm. So. I think because it's the one that's eluded us as well. You know, we have three 
other domestic ones obviously we'll rule out Europe because it's not been a realistic possibility but this is a realistic possibility now and you know it's sort of like you win an FA Cup and it could be the catalyst of so many other things to go on and try and you know try and defend your cup and whatever mm. it's it is a lot it means a lot to the fans I think you know when you're like a big six supporter or whatever these cups you know you're always in them and you know you're always challenging for the league so it might not matter but you know, for us three, especially as like supporters of the clubs we are, winning the FA Cup would mean that it means everything to you. So, yeah, yeah, I'd probably say that over top four. Couldn't have said that better, really, because I was just thinking the same thing uh, when you said it. I mean, I don't know about you, Evan, but I would agree with that sentiment as well. I mean, um, Burnley, for whatever reason, do struggle when it comes to cup runs, usually out quite early on. I think generally because and you can probably relate to this as well, that when our when clubs are battling at the bottom, the bread and butter, so to speak, is to stay in the top flight. And with smaller squads, it means heavy rotation in the cup, which means less of a focus in the cup. And it means cup runs are hard to come by. So when they do happen, you know, it is very, it's a very, very nice feeling. And from Callum's point as well, it's really nice to hear that his team on the cusp of a Champions League place, but he'd still rather have an FA Cup trophy. And who says that FA Cup magic's dead? I suppose fans are the top six, maybe. Yeah, so, you know, even managers are the top six. They don't take it as seriously as it's, you know, I'd say it's on par with the community shield, but they don't, they don't care as much as about qualifying for the Champions League or even potentially winning the league. You know, I still think about Palace's Cup run. I mentioned it earlier. It's, um, it's a special year and we didn't even win it. You know, and on my way out of the ground, as I didn't stay to watch Manchester United lift, it, lift the cup, I saw Manchester United fans leaving, so it told me all really what it meant to them and what it would have meant to us. Um, mm. you know, Palace, Palace have made it to two finals. Hopefully, we'll make it to another one. one. But yeah, it's, obviously, the FA Cup still means a lot. It's about the journey, isn't it? Yeah, it is about the journey, and it's about the dancing, I suppose, from Alan Pardew's point of view. Um, on that very day, that was quite... I mean, can you imagine Roy doing that? Probably, probably not. I suppose he'd have to sign a new contract. That's up in the air. <laughs> Um, yeah. But yeah, I suppose to be fair though, big six club Chelsea, from Thomas Tuchel's point of view, he will absolutely want to win that, won't he? Because he's only been in the job a few months, and what better way to signal success in that job than winning a trophy? I mean, Mikel Arteta did it last year with Arsenal. He won the Community Shield and he won the FA Cup, and that arguably gave him a bit of leeway this season because the fans were so excited by him, they were so impressed by him. He delivered a trophy so early on in his tenure. And now, despite having a really bad season at Arsenal, people say, well, you know, he's got this far without too much criticism because of what he delivered last time. A bit different with Tuchel, but you can't argue the fact that an FA Cup just a few months in, on top of a top four status, the Champions League, Callum, would be an absolute bonus, wouldn't it? Because I don't think people actually expect them to win that. But the FA Cup in the top four, Tuchel's an absolute genius, isn't he? 100%. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of friends who are Chelsea fans and a lot of them are already touting him to be their best manager in his lifetime. He's not even won anything yet, which I think, I know, it's very sort of, yeah, I, I agree. They'll want like, him out next season. <laughs> this is, well, this is yeah. where this is where I say as well, if the, if he doesn't win either of them, then it'll be it'll be the first time Chelsea's ever gone two years about the trophy under Ooh. Abramovich, which we all know what Abramovich is like. So We ask him for Roy, won't he? He'll be getting Roy on the phone. Yeah, this is exactly the thing, isn't it? Um, so there's all there's also pressure in the way, but I think, I mean, if you did do anything like that, it'd be a fool because it's quite clear to see just how good Chelsea are at the minute. Like Edmund said, they are 
on form the best team in Europe. They're, um, the potential they have is quite devastating, really, because a lot of those players are still quite young. Chilwell, young, still, you know, Rhys James, young. I mean, Kante, he's 30, but he's, he plays like he's in his early 20s. You know, you've got Kovacic, Billy Gilmore, who I thought was excellent against uh, Manchester City at the weekend. I thought he was outstanding. He's got really, really bright potential. I, I think I, I really do think they could win it, but I, there's almost a part of me that thinks Man City are almost taking their eye off the league. I know they're not over the line yet, mm. but they are going to go over the line. There's almost yeah. feeling like they've got that eye on that Champions League, and they're preparing for that, preparing for that behind the doors more mm. than the league as such. But um, I think it's got to the point now where you really, really can't call that game. It's it's so hard. I mean, Chelsea so strong defensively Man City is so good going forward mm. lives up to be a really really exciting game Pep did say following his Palace press conference that he was going to give players more time now to play in the in the league so he'd like Aguero to reach the record I think if it's I think he's one goal or two goals away from a certain record and he said he's going to give him time to play games and rotate the squad so yeah I do agree I think he's probably got one eye on the Champions League final now he might be off penalties now though um, yeah. after yeah after yeah, this weekend. It's certainly be all penalties. Um, so, yeah, we both took, we touched on those two really then. So, generally, Callum, are you optimistic for the Saturday game or are you thinking that it's probably going to be a Chelsea victory at Wembley? There's something about it. I just think the way it's gone, it's such been, been such a weird year. I just think... I feel like it's just going to happen. I, I, I mean, I, I personally, honestly, don't care how we win it. I don't care if it... No, but it's a last-minute winner. Or... And with your journalism hat on, you don't, obviously don't care who wins. You know, <laughs> as far as that's concerned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, I just think I don't know. There's just something about Leicester this year. It just, just feels a bit different. Just mm. feels like there's that sort of that belief that we re- really can win. Any other year, you'd be like, well, we're in it because we're playing Chelsea, but mm. I think there is genuine belief, and I, I really, actually, I really do think. They are going to do it. I think Leicester are going to win the FA Cup. For your sake, I hope they do. I mean, I have the opposite opinion, but uh, I don't know, Edmund, you you, you sided with Chelsea as well? Or? Yeah, I think Chelsea is. You're meeting an unmovable, tra- uh, an unstoppable train. You know, they they are in fine form at the moment. What could play into your hands mm. is their qualification for the final. But at the same time, that squad rotation, Thomas Tuchel seems to have it perfect at the moment. Yeah. Everyone seems to be getting happy minutes. And yeah, unfortunately, Callum, I do think Chelsea are going to win. <laughs> But sorry. but but will Chelsea win? I mean, that's two out of three of us there. So yeah, sorry, Callum, from me as well. But do you think Chelsea will win in the Champions League final? When because that's the hard. I I I'm with Callum. I think that's a lot harder to call than than it first appeared. You know, um, they, they are they, they almost play the same way without a recognised striker at times when Havertz plays and Werner's slightly to the side. Um, it could come down to efficiency in front of goal and. I, even though Man City are known to be a bit wasteful, particularly this season, they just seem a little bit more ruthless with what they do. And I think that's why they are where they are. So if I had to hedge my bets now, I'd probably be looking at Man City. But at the same time, like you said, Callum, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea managed to overturn them. I mean, both sides have these players that can just sort of pluck things. I mean, on in the Man City, there's probably a couple more in the Man City department you've got sort of the Bruyner who's just, you know, we all know how good the Bruyner is. We've got Phil Foden, who's one of the brightest talents in, in world football. He's going to go on to be some player. Even players like uh, Maris, Ruben Diaz at the back, who I think 
I mean, Ruben Diaz alone has got to be up there for signing the season. Mm. I know it's Man City. I know they're good. I know they spent, but it's like um, mm. it was mentioned in commentary during the game before. It's very hard to find a real, real top class centre half. I think Man City have found theirs in Ruben Diaz. I think he's been nothing short of superb. But then again, on the Chelsea side, there's also those people. You've got the experienced head of Thiago Silva. He knows what these finals are all about. You know, you've got Mason Mount, who again is currently one of the best players in the league on form. They've got a real good spine at Chelsea as well. It's so I can see it going in distance. I can even see it going all the way to penalties, to be honest, because they're both that good. Mm. Mm. Who would you... They both have to score the perfect goal as well, which is, yeah. you know, if you know, Man City kind of have that down to a T at the moment, but if it's not firing on all, cylind- on all cylinders, it's going to be difficult. So City from both of you, probably. I would, in- I'm inclined to go with that as well, just because what, the, I suppose it, it depends which way you look at it. You could say Guardiola's obsession with it might make him overthink it slightly, whereas Tuchel maybe won't, but I don't know. He has, he has been prone Guardiola to do something, you know, sort of, mm. It's very hard to predict him because he will just throw these random tactics and formations in. Mm. I think there's more pressure on Pep, to be honest, than there is on Tuchel. Mm. I don't think Chelsea expected to get to the final. Mm. You know, I'm, I know he had a very good Champions League campaign, even in the Lampard, but I think, mm. you know, it's the one trophy at Man City that they haven't got. And that's what Guardiola was purely brought in to do. Mm. He didn't win with the Bayern as well. So on his own side, there's pressure, you know. He's considered. He's, Constantly talks about being the best manager in the world. Mm. That's his best chance to prove he is. So, Although I prefer City to win it. I think Chelsea might edge it. Chelsea, I'll go City, I think. I think City 1-0. I think it's one of those. But I, it, this is something that will be revisited much closer to the yeah. time when we know more. But at this moment, I can't look beyond someone who's cruising the league and you know playing in such a fantastic way. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm edging with that. What about you, Callum? More City, Chelsea, and City on penalties. Oh, oof. Oof. they're not good at penalties, though. None of them could score. I know, I know, but you know, as long as Aguero doesn't take him, you know, honestly, then... if it went to penalties, I think I'm back Chelsea. I, I think <laughs> I, I genuinely do. Um, well, the thing is, Chelsea have been in one of those situations that's how they won the last Champions League. So that might, albeit not many, if any of those mm-hmm. players were around then, but. You know, that sort of mentality in the club. Yeah, bring Drogba back for one yeah. night only. Bring them all back, bring them all back. Bring them all back. Uh, wow. Just briefly Basingua. then, <laughs> Just Ivanovic is still playing, but just, yeah. just briefly then, um, Championship as well, really tense this week. We'll touch, we'll touch on that a bit in our final segment in terms of what it meant at the bottom, but in the Championship playoffs, uh, Norwich and Watford going back up after coming straight back down last season. Um, but we've got Bournemouth, uh, against Brentford and Swansea against Barnsley. Um, anyone standing out for you personally? I want Brentford or Barnsley. Barnsley would be hilarious because they are they are the underdogs this year. They play a quite an aggressive physical style of play. Um, shoestring budget shouldn't be where they are. Would be amazing like Burnley of, of the olden days. Uh, Brentford because they sell so many assets in the Premier League. Play such a lovely brand of football. Nearly made every year. Would love to see them up one day. What about you two? Any any preferences into that? Barnsley. Barnsley all the way. How mm. can you not back the underdog? But yeah. I think no of course, you know, it's an underdog story, but they do play some really exciting football, you know. They've not been boring to watch by any stretch of the means. It's a different brand, isn't it? Like to Brentford, yeah. for example. 
it's completely different. And you know, Brentford are always, you know, I think it will be, I think Brentford will get there eventually. Like it's only a matter of time. If they don't say that for years. <laughs> just... Yeah, we, we do, we do, but it, it is going to happen. It's just sort of a case of, you know, it, all it takes is that one year. And I think Brentford will do it this year, but I want Barnsley to do it. And as well, I don't know about you, Edmund, but Swansea and, and Bournemouth especially, if Bournemouth went up, the same three teams that went down in 1920 would come back up. And that's partly COVID-inspired, granted, I think, that many teams have struggled to invest like they should have done and they came down and kept the bulk of the squads. But don't want that, do we? We, we want to see a new boy in, in, in the top flight, surely. Yeah, Sorry, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, you, like you mentioned, um, you know, the championship's been stormed by the two teams with the biggest budgets. Mm. It's not the same league that when, especially the Palace and, uh, and Burnley left. It's, um, I'd quite like to see Brentford go up, to be honest, just because of the London sort of links. Um, mm. Also, Valerian Ishmael at Barnsley, he was Palace's yeah. record signing for 15 years. Yeah. So, but yeah, and it's kind of also a, a nod towards football statistics as well, isn't it? With Billy Bean at at, uh, at Barnsley and then the way Brentford do things as well with their recruitment strategy. Mm. I do think Brentford, you know, we talk about experience, they've got it from last year. So yeah, I think Brentford this year, we'll, we'll see it out. I think Brentford as well. And I wouldn't be too dis- disappointed with that. I think them or Barnsley for me, and I'm happy. But you know what, whoever, it is a lottery. I always find that Burnley's gone up through the playoffs. I think Crystal Palace have as well been up through, yeah, the, yeah. through the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's about hitting the form at the right time. Mm. Although Bournemouth have kind of picked up a tiny bit, but mm. I, I don't think I don't think we'd get no. to the right man to see that through. No, fantastic. On to third section now, then, which is more tactical, tactically focused, and it was more of a philosophical question, which should have real a real answer to it. I mean, everyone seems to give the same answer, really. Um, that whenever they see the team team play, whenever they hire a manager, you want to know how the team's going to play, the attacking transitions in training. We want to see philosophies on the pitch that are obvious. You can see, you know, wonderful football week in, week out. But it's not always like that. It's not always obvious. And I've sort of posed the question, is it better to have an an intricate attacking philosophical plan? Struggle to get that out. Or is it better to put an emphasis on individual quality with also a strong emphasis on defensive organisation to get teams through a season. Now, we've seen at both sides of this, at big clubs and small clubs, teams who prefer an organised defensive unit with some individual quality at the other end that gets teams through. And it's won Jose Mourinho a lot, I think, uh, in over the years. Solid defensive organisation. Players, superstars, who he gets the best out of. Ibrahimovic being one. Ibrahimovic himself, whose book I own, because I think he's amazing, said... Guardiola closes the curtains, but Mourinho opens them. I'm paraphrasing. But what he said was, what he meant was, if you play for Guardiola, the system does all the work. You're a, you're a, a cog in the wheel. But if you're with Mourinho, he understands you as an individual. So long as you die for Mourinho, so to speak, he'll let you express yourself and be yourself on the football field, doing things for the team. So is there any argument that the Mourinho way or the putting emphasis on individual quality is better than the collective attacking philosophical mindset. Start with you, Callum. I think it's really hard because there's two sides to the coin of it. It's if you go for the individual sort of side of it, all it takes is to have that individual not be on form and, you know, the whole plan goes out the window, you know, your team might be defensively structured, but 
if you're relying on that sole individual to get the goals, i.e. like in maybe in previous years, Leicester relied on Vardy. If he's not scoring, then the question is often, well, who's going to get the goals? Whereas sort of in, sort of if you're a cog in the wheel as such, like you said, everyone has to be firing all cylinders. That's something you can work on together. And it's also something where you can bring someone in. If someone's not playing well, you can bring another person in. Whereas if that individual isn't playing well, well, who do you replace them with? Because that's the person you've gone to to say, go and win the game. Mm. But I think there's there's definitely, I mean, I'm personally a bit more in favour of sort of pet playing. I want people that can come in and come out and can play the role, you know, can work together as a team, defend together as a team. Just because I think there's a bit more fluidity to it. Whereas mm. you, you know, if, if you've just got one soul or two or three people that you're banking on every week to, you know, find you the winner, get you that last minute draw, it can pull you back a little bit, I think. Mm. Yeah, no, well, put. I mean, I think I think one of the reasons why you look for the individuals as opposed to getting the best out of them personally is because I think it generally leaves you a little bit more solid or a little less suspect in defensive areas. So in transition, say, you're still going to have to break down quite a lot, whereas in a, in a progressive attacking system where players are pushing forward, one misplaced passing you in trouble. At the bottom of the table, and when you look back at Norwich from two seasons ago, who used to play out from the back expansively in a beautiful way. Um, and when it worked, it was fantastic. And when it didn't, it was terrible because every time they would get punished for basic slack errors because there was so much space in, in, in behind that opposition teams just love to exploit. But your team, Crystal Palace, under Roy Hodgson, generally are a team that comfortably survives season after season. Um, they heavily rely on people like Wilfred Zahar to step up in the right moments, provide moments of you know genuine quality in the attacking areas. And at the back of that, then you've got all of the other players working together in an organised unit, trying to... Um, trying to prevent uh, any goals going in. So I suppose it does work well in clubs maybe towards the bottom who don't have the same budget. In other words, is an attacking philosophy a bit of a luxury for teams with bigger budgets and bigger bigger you know wallets, I suppose? Yeah, we've, you know, we've talked about there about Roy Hodgson. I think it's the biggest question that Crystal Palace are going yeah. to have to face in their Premier League years coming up this summer. I, I don't think he'll be here, but it's... You can't rule out being mathematically safe by January every season. It's a fantastic achievement and something that deserves more credibility, notability. Yeah, he he's done a wonderful job on the limited, very, very limited budget that he's had. And it's, uh, you know, he's had the same amount of squad as well, which is the, which is the thing. But in, in terms of the formation, if Zaha's not playing well, Palace don't play well. And it's, it's a very risky risky way to, to to go about things obviously we have Eze but he is still finding his feet in the Premier League and it's it's too much to ask him to to, to have the attacking prowess of a of a whole of a whole side going forward mm. but I think it also depends on on what stature your club is for a team like Crystal Palace or Burnley to, to do that it's risky mm. whereas if if you're surrounding Kevin De Bruyne with that Manchester City team it's, it's a lot better to a lot it's a lot more a lot of what's the way of trying to put it it's a lot more there's a lot le- less risk yeah there's a lot less mm. risk in going with that than if you're doing it with a Wilfred Zaha or a, mm. a Chris Wood or someone mm. yeah no fair point I think 
One thing I look at, I mean, you look at the who tops the goal scoring charts this year, it's Harry Kane. Who tops the assist yeah. charts this season, it's Harry Kane. Who managed Harry Kane for most of the season, Jose Mourinho. And I think many people, I probably would be inclined to agree, I think Harry Kane's probably this season been in the best form of his career because not only has he been able to score the goals, but he's turned to creator, he's controlled games. And under Pochettino, he was primarily a goal scorer. Um, in, obviously, when he played for England, he used to drift into midfield. Um, you know, in that World Cup in 2018. But under Pochettino, primarily a ruthless goal scorer, under Jose Mourinho, so much more. It's almost like Jose Mourinho's gone to Harry Kane and said, look, I want you to take the responsibility for things in the in the attacking third. I want you to dictate things. And he said, you know, he wants to do that. He wants to take the initiative. Whereas a lot of players now, I feel like, they want their hands to be held as though they want decisions to be made for them instead of taking the game by the scruff of the neck and doing things on their own accord. Another example, I suppose, would be Bruno Fernandes at Man United. 4-2-3-1, Fernandes in the number 10, get the ball to Fernandes and he makes things happen. When when Fernandes hasn't played, it's not been the same Man United. So I suppose Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has adopted that tactic a bit. Although now with Pogba coming back, he's got two players really that can, you know, perform miracles. Um, so... I suppose there is a legitimacy, certainly with Man United, who are second in the league and generally relying on these individual moments. But I guess, like you said, Callum, it's a sustainability factor, isn't it? Um, if one of these two is... I mean, when Harry Kane wasn't fit for Tottenham, it was a disaster, wasn't it? There was nothing there. There was no idea what was going on. But then at the same time, when you see a player performing so amazingly and taking the game so wonderfully, like Kane, like Ibrahimovic in times gone by, like Fernandez. You can't really dispute the method when they're on when they're on the pitch. No, you're exactly right, and you know I think it's something that Liverpool almost tried to do. I think a lot of people when Thiago came into Liverpool, a lot of people were pinning their hopes on, but that's not true. Obviously, they have Salah and they have Mane, mm. but if not, I mean Salah's been great this season, but you know, Mane struggled, and Thiago's sort of taking his time to adapt. Played very well yesterday there. Um, yeah, I think if you have a player when it's someone like Harry Kane, and you you know sort of. He is the focal point, not just from sort of he wears the armband, but he's also, you know how good he is. You are naturally going to look towards that person. But I think, you know, overall throughout the Tottenham quality, there's sort of little sprinkles of quality. You know, Son's great. Hugo Lloris still a fantastic goalkeeper. And Don Belay, even like Hoiberg, has been really shrewd signing this year. But I think, like, I think there is a bit of a luxury to it when you are sort of Man City and Chelsea and you can, you know, you have all these big name players, you, you know, you can take more risks, like Edmund said, but I think, I think it's just down to pure preference of the manager, like, you know, that there will always be a standout player in every side, but sometimes that player is standout because everybody else inside is also really good and helps them, not necessarily they're really good because everything is pointed towards them to make them better. No, I don't know if you lot follow Jose Mourinho on Instagram, but um, I think the only two first team players who actually say goodbye to him and what a pleasure it was to work with him was Son and Harry Kane. Yeah. So it sort of tells you that that's what he built the team around. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Put an arm around. You could argue as well from that perspective, like with that, other players within the ranks may feel a bit of sort of animosity towards the manager because obviously it's quite clear that Kane was a favourite. And rightly so, you are going to put your arm around your best player a bit more naturally because, you know, you want them to stay. So you're going to want to sort of look after them more in a way. But 
you know, there'll be there would have been players in that Spurs ring. You know, I can think of someone maybe like Danny Rose, who probably absolutely delighted to see Mourinho go <laughs> because of the way he was treated. But there will be players within clubs that look at it from a negative perspective, but then there'll be other people that really thrive off it and go, Oh wow, we've got this like really good player and the manager really trusts him. So because he trusts him, like I hope he can trust me too. And that raises their game as well. But yeah, there's there's it's sort of a very sort of both sides of the coin argument, mm. isn't it? I feel like it's again. I think it's, it comes to mentality argument again because I know he liked Hoiberg quite a lot. I think when he signed him, and he, I think he described him as his stopper, so he knows exactly what he wants from his players to do. Um, and it's like in Mourinho, I think sees individuals as individuals, and someone like Guardiola sees his system and people to fit into that system. Whereas Mourinho makes individuals his system. If you if you if you know, I mean, just I think. I think there is an obvious. This, I asked the question because I'm with you. I, I would rather see a philosophy on, on, on in play, but there is an obvious, you know, majority that prefer that as well. I think because a lot of clubs now say we want someone with a philosophy. We want to play in this way of football. We want to play in that way of football. Um, but I suppose there's different kind of philosophies as well because we say everything everyone has this obsession with playing out from the back in a fluid way and a 4-3-3 generally is the, the traditional formation people want isn't it but then you can look at someone like Antonio Conte who's with 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 usually 3-5-2 at Inter and that's a different kind of philosophy isn't it that's more of a counter-attack but not afraid to play it's, it's almost like it's not going to be in a certain way all the time, but you almost adapt to games. You can knock it long to Lukaku. You can play through the lines. So what's your thoughts generally on the strictness of a philosophy in terms of you must do this every time, you must do that every time, or a bit of a sensible philosophy where actually we can pass out, but we can knock it forward to the big man. We can mix it up a little bit. Um, the argument is that if you do something enough so many times, like a Guardiola team, it becomes second nature so you get it right 99 times out of 100 and that's how you perfect something that's how you perfect playing out from the back it's how you perfect a high press but then there's a lot of obstacles along the way isn't there to that you know like uh, for example if a team starts to work you out do we need to invest more money to to shore up certain positions you look at Conte for example at at, at Inter playing with uh, Ashley Young and Victor Moses at times as wing backs so not every team can get these 60, 70 million pound players. And you have to have a bit of a adaptability, even as the coach sometimes, if you've not got all that money to succeed. I don't know how he's done it with Victor Moses. He was a striker at Crystal Palace. It's unbelievable how he's turned him into a wing back. But um, yeah, I think as well with Conte, you know, Lukaku is no longer just the, mm. the muscly forward that people try to stereotype him as. He's doing, he's doing the Harry Kane you know, link-up play now, which has really helped out Antonio Conte's side. Uh, and he's working with young players, which is something I think he was not sort of, yeah, it was a question over, but Barella's probably one of the best young midfielders yeah. in the league. So, yeah, mm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Conte. I'm a big fan of what he's done at, at Inter. I actually think Conte is one of the best coaches in the world for making individuals better. I think he's a genius. I just think he probably needs to attend anger management classes sometimes <laughs> because, you know, he just did, he, that seems to get him into trouble when he overthinks situations. Seems, seems to help. Galva, I mean, I remember watching him on the sideline when they came to Leicester and he's sort of running around, he's yeah. barking everything. But in a way, you look at that on the sideline, you think, well, my manager's up for this. Like, I like it. I, I personally am a massive fan of it. Like, 
obviously some managers like to be reserved. They feel like if they show their emotions, like if they're really angry, like I know Brendan Rodgers has come out before and said, I don't show any emotion because, you know, if I'm losing my, t- I don't want my players to lose that. But then there's the argument. I mean, I'm personally a massive fan of, you know, like I love the Simeone style as yeah. well of, you know, sort of riling people up, you know, winding up opposition, you know, and it works as well. But like going back to the point you made on sort of tactics, is, is it better to have a regimented structure or something? Yeah. I think you have to be fluid because I think, yeah. you know, all it takes, it when, when there's fans in the ground, if you've lost two games in a row playing the same tactics, fans are on you straight away. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that balance. Different teams are going to come to you and play different ways, you know. You might face one team one week who sit back and defend the counter. You might have another team that comes and goes all guns blazing looking to attack you. So you have to you have to make little tweaks, you know, for different teams. You can still have the same sort of principles of we want to play out from the back. But maybe one time you say, look, these team this team's gonna press high. Mm. Let's go along. I mean, generally I would think that in terms of the individual or the system, I do think a good balance of both really would be would be would be amazing because there's gonna be times where the system lets you down. And you want someone to be a maverick and just take up, take the game by the by the scruff of the neck, and someone to think actually I'm going to break out of this zone that I'm supposed to be in. I'm not going to follow the instruction. And by doing that, you might have a you might have the one nil winner in a in a really tight game. But yeah, it's a, it's it's, a t- it's interesting. It's a really tough one, and I think football is going in a direction where everything seems to everyone wants to have certain picture for their team. But like you said, Callum, you have got Simeone, you got Dyche. <laughs> You got you got Roy, um, you got Conte. Conte, who plays really good football without going to the mainstream trademark of how you should play. And yeah, I think it's important that we that we support tactical diversity and different styles of management. In uh, you know, because we don't want it, we don't want it to just be a completely similar field across everything. You look at Nagelsmann at Leipzig, seems to be buying. You know, he's completely changed the game, hasn't he? Like everyone knows, sort of those massive screens that he puts in at training grounds and stuff, mm. and sort. Of, I think the, the best thing about tactics is, you know, like people always nick your ideas off each mm. other. You know, no tactic is made purely off one person's ideology. They've obviously plucked things from other people mm. and sort of formulated them together to make their own plan, which I think is the beauty of tactics, isn't it? You know. Yeah, that was really well put. Actually, no thoughts ever original. I think is uh, something that I've I've once read. Hey, you know, if you look at Graham Potter, Graham Potter at Brighton, you know, mm. when Palace tried to do that sort of similar play it out from the back thing under Frank De Boer, it went horribly wrong, horribly mm. wrong because they didn't financially support the personnel that he wanted. Mm. They brought in Ruben Loftus-Cheek on loan, Timothy Fusumensa and £8 million on Jaro Riederwald and it just failed completely. He was trying mm. to play Andrew Townsend as a wing-back, whereas with Potter at Brighton, they have supported the system that he wants to go for and they've bought the players that are going to fit him in the future. Mm. Yeah, I think it will come down to personnel as well. On to the fourth topic in terms of uh, European results and maybe touch on the championship relegation fight right, right at the end. But um, it's been an interesting um, few days across Europe. I mean, in, in La Liga, one of the countries with still an exciting title race left, there's two of them, France being the other one. But uh, Barcelona nil, Atletico Madrid nil, Tostegan and Oblak really coming out on top in that one. Oblak getting man of the match uh, in that tie. Atletico going back to a back three for that particular game. Lionel Messi couldn't find the magic in this on this particular uh, occasion. But yeah, I guess every you know we we all load the Premier League. We've we've been loading it as the best league in the world with the European you know stakes. Two two teams in uh, the Champions League. You got the Europa League as well. But um, 
what do we think then about uh, this this title race in our league? I'm a bit jealous as a neutral, uh, seeing four teams go gung-ho in these final stages. I mean, I honestly can't claim to say that I've watched a lot of La Liga mm. football. I'd say my most sort of knowledge of it is Champions League. Mm. I mean, when I watched Real Madrid against Chelsea, I thought Chelsea were cut above them, and I thought I thought it was one of the poorest Madrid sides I've seen in a while, to be honest. I think it's just one of them things, but it is nice to see a nice little title race. I think it will be one of the usual three suspects that do end up taking the crown. Well, Sevilla's in fourth, and at the, at the moment of this recording, they're playing Real Madrid, uh, just started, nil-nil at the moment. If they win that, they have a game in hand. If they win the game in hand, they go joint top with Atletico Madrid. So, big ask. It would be a, a remarkable uh, story. I mean, like you say, Callum, the financial distribution in that league is shocking, really, in favour of the, the Catalan Giants, and then Atletico will get quite a big portion of the pie as well. But I, I don't know, Edmund, what generally... Is I mean, Atletico, it's quite ironic, you know, uh, this, many of the Spanish clubs, Atletico included, were quite heavy, heavy advocates of the European Super League. They spent a fortune, all of these teams, and a lot of them quite badly in recent years. So I guess, you know, really poor finance. I mean, you look at the Bundesliga, for example, where Bayern is so efficient with their signings. Dortmund also, because they play, because Bayern take all their players when they become good, but then Dortmund have the um, ability to go out and sign other players in really good models. I mean, the Bundesliga... Uh, is uh, a brilliant example of cl- a, a league with so many excellently round um, clubs from a financial perspective. We look at La Liga with those at the top, they really have been wasteful with a lot of money, haven't they? Particularly Barcelona, 140 yeah. on Coutinho, 105 on Griezmann, who's coming into form now. It's, it's just w- wishing money away, isn't it? I could, I would quite like to see Sevilla, Sevilla win yeah. the league, especially uh, Lopetegui get one over Real Madrid after after what happened there. Sure. Similar to Callum, I can't I can't claim to be a, a big watcher of the league. Last mm. season I did because I really like Granada mm. and I like what uh, Diego Martinez was doing there. But mm. um, no, I'm, I'm hoping Sevilla do get one over on, on the Giants. I think it's worth noting as a disclaimer that uh, I don't think it might be on Premier Sports, but La Liga is one of the leagues that isn't yeah. actually supported by a major British sports um, broadcaster. So that is a difficulty in it. I it's usually can- Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime now, isn't it? Is it? Is it now? I think yeah. it was on Premier Sports, and that was quite it a was, yeah. yeah, quite an exclusive little broadcaster. Didn't really have much else on it, but uh, it's not it's not quite the same, you know, huge force that it used to be La Liga. But but that is really exciting for them, in particular any Spanish fans watching uh, and listening to this, you know, really exciting race going on in Spain, but also in France actually, where. I've touched on this slightly. I think we touched on this actually not on the pod, but last week at a meeting, and I've touched on it on the pod many times, that Lille are two games away now from winning the league and title, which is an absolutely ridiculous fairy tale story on Leicester-like levels from 15-16. Four points ahead of PSG, one point ahead of PSG win the game in hand. All they have to do is win the next two games, Callum, and it's, and it's done. It's easy, isn't it? It's just as easy as that, isn't it? Um, I think it's marvellous. I think it's fantastic. I think the way PSG have dominated that league for years, you know, it is such a great achievement. And I think, you know, there's a lot of problems going on behind the scenes at Lille, particularly financially. I mean, it came out the other week that their manager was talking to Nice or a mid-table club, which is just mind-blowing. Mm. A lot of the players that could win them this league are going to be shifted on. You know, Samari looks like he's all but going to Leicester this summer. You know, and I think the whole model of sort of the way they've, they've done it, it's just brilliant. You know, they they sort of they sell one player, they bring in one player, they sell them on for a really big money. Burak Yilmaz has come in on a free as a 35-year-old and he's just been absolutely marvellous. I watched him on Friday and, you know, 
they're worthy champions 100% mm. if they go on to do it. They mm. were so good. They're so exciting to watch. It's so fresh. And, you know, a lot of people pander to this idea that League earns a Farmers League or whatever, mm. but some of the best players in the Premier League right now and in the world were produced in the French leagues. And, yeah. you know, I think it's, I think they're brilliant. Like, and I, really, I really hope they do it. And they beat, like you say, on Friday, they beat Lance 3 0. 3 0 over Lance on Friday. And this is, these are high pressure situations, the likes of which they'll probably not have for a very, very long time for the reasons you just stated. It's like, you know, it's like the car that's just flown off in the race and then the, the tyres fallen off. Too, you've got two punctures and it's just trying to get over the line. It's ridiculous. And um, I really do hope, like you say, that they can do it. PSG, of course, very um, quickly closing them down. At the time of recording, they do have uh, a game in hand over with Ren. Assuming they win that, they'll still have a one-point lead over PSG. Uh, Leon and Monaco just behind in, in, in third and fourth um, on 74 points, Monaco and Leon on 73 respectively. But it is very much a two-horse race now, it would look like, last two games. Edmund, you're back. Are they going to do it? PSG going to do it? I'm going to spoil the party. I mean, I don't think PSG going to do it. I hope Leo do it because, especially, I think Jonathan David's been good this year yep. as well. In terms of France, it seems like there's a bit of a mess going on at the moment with the, with the whole being sports TV package, and it seems like that's what's going to ultimately cause yeah. a lot of teams' downfalls going forward. Covid's not game. great in France either. It's pretty. No, it's not. It's also you know some fantastic talent over in over in Germany, and and Jaden Sancho with two goals in a massive game in the Bundesliga, beating Leipzig three two, crowned Bayern champions. They won six nil against uh, Mönchengladbach, I think, and and Lewandowski got a hat trick and he's one goal now off the forty goal Gerd Muller record in one year of Bundesliga, which is pretty impressive because Bundesliga you only play, I mean Lewandowski will only play thirty four games max because eighteen team league. So if he gets one more goal, he'll let, he'll go level with Gerd Muller, gets two more, then he surpasses it. Well, good maths there. I mean, just on the Dortmund thing, though, their, their Champions League status was really under threat. They're now in it, but it's still on a knife edge because I think the team below them, I can't quite remember, but they do have a game in hand. But this was a 3-2 win over second place Leipzig without Erling Haaland and Jaden Sancho stepped up and got two goals. I mean... Callum, with, with the, the, all the hype around Erling Haaland, and he is a fantastic player. Does people have people forgotten a little bit just how good Jaden Sancho is? I'm, I'm with you, by the way. I absolutely love the Bundesliga, and I think he has in a way. I think that's almost played to his advantage. I think for one, he's outside of the English media limelight, which I think has been brilliant for him. Same with Jude Bellingham as well. I think it's helped them both massively. But I think when you have someone like Haaland who is just tearing apart the way he is. And Sancho has been brilliant. And, you know, 30 goals and six contributions three seasons in a row now, that's not to be mm. laughed about, is it? He's, he's a real, real talent. Whether he stays at Dortmund is another question. But he really sort of announced himself and I think a lot of people sort of hurt their ears up because he had sort of, not a lot of people have been talking about him of late this season, but he sort of, I think he just sort of reminded people, I am here and I, I can do this. And, I mean, I think he'll be a vital player for England in the Euros as well. I think he's mm. wonderful talent. He didn't get in Carragher and Neville's uh, 23-man uh, squad either, which I thought yeah. was a bit crazy, given some of the selections that were picked. Um, but I think, yeah, it's uh, actually just 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 checking up as well. Um, Frankfurt played uh, their uh, game with Mainz and drew 1-1. So as it stands, no games extra Dortmund are in fourth. Yeah. I think with Marco Rosa coming back to manage Erling Haaland, for this particular season, having managed him at Salzburg, I do think that that could be a particular pull for him to stay for one more season before that buyout close comes into play. But with Sancho, 
I think his position at Dortmund might be, well, it might end because I think one of the big clubs will come in for him and I think they can't really afford to turn down and bid for him this summer because we've got quite a lot of debts to pay off uh, in the background. And I think he will probably be the one that goes. But uh, yeah, just remind, like you say, Callum, he'll be certainly one to uh, keep an eye on uh, in the Euros. Serie A's done and done, but Inter Milan won 5-1 this weekend and Alexis Sanchez scored two with Lukaku an unused substitute on the bench. And Ashley Young got an assist. So... Sort of the Premier League, sort of like the Premier League, um, unwanted, isn't it? There, Conte sort of brought in all these players, and a lot of eyebrows were raised, weren't they? You know, mm-hmm. when people Victor Moses, Sanchez, Young, Darmian, you know, all these players. I'm gonna rule out Lukaku because I think Lukaku is unfairly putting that. I think we all know how good Lukaku mm-hmm. is his himself, and he's proven it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy for him, I'm delighted for him, actually. He's happy, you're happy for him, Cal. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, like Damian and all that, you know, I think Conte is just, he just gets the best. We said it earlier, yeah. doesn't he? He knows how to get the best out of individuals. And mm. yeah, just to touch back on the Bundesliga quickly, it's a shame what's happened to, to Gladbach after yeah. they announced that the manager was going to be leaving. They seem to have really dropped off since. I don't mm. know. I don't know whether they should have just, a bit like a plaster, isn't it? It's whether you rip it off straight away or do you pull it off slowly. And it seems mm. like the slowly approach is really, really yeah. hampered. Nasty. It was it was a strange one that when it came about, to yeah. be honest. I completely agree. Um and to be fair, Dortmund to get back on track as well. I don't know why they, they've been play they've been playing for a manager they know is not going to be there in the summer. It's a bit like when yeah. Pellegrini announced he was leaving Man City, isn't it? And that didn't put way back when reminded me of that in in, in for a reference in England. Uh, and just generally, just finally then on the championship, it's a talks about the playoff picture, but a really, really mad end um, to in the relegation picture because it looked like Rotherham were safe and then they conceded a late goal to Cardiff and Derby and Sheffield Wednesday 3-3. Sheffield Wednesday only gone down because of the points deduction that they got at the start of the season because their owners didn't necessarily keep the finances in check. Maybe that's a note to European Super League fans, clubs of, fans of European Super League clubs who said, yeah, but the managers and the players, they they aren't doing this. Well, you know, you know, in the Europe in the EFL in, in Scotland, it can be quite harsh, can't it, when, when owners don't necessarily follow the rules. I mean, that derby game alone, I mean, that is the definition of two halves, isn't it? That first half up there was some of the worst football off you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. That's- that second 45 was everything. And, you know, you, you do have to feel a bit sorry for Sheffield Wednesday because I thought they were really, mm. they really went for it. And, you know, they conceded the penalty when it coincided with Cardiff equalising, you know, mm. just sort of all sort of... But like you said, the, you know, at the end of the day, the fans have been punished for the owner's incompetence. Whether the owners care that that's happened mm. is enough to be said. But it was really exciting. It was really nice, you know. And I think... I, I genuinely... I think the Championship's just as it's not more exciting mm. than the Premier League on plenty of mm. occasions. I think that proved, you know, because it sort of anyone could beat anyone on the day and that's what I really, really like about it. And it was a, it was a really good game to watch from a neutral perspective mm. obviously, like commiserations to Sheffield Wednesday and congrats to Derby. Whether you should be celebrating staying up, I don't know. Touching on Derby, I have my doubts about Wayne Rooney as a manager personally. I'm not too sure whether mm. he's the right man to lead them forward. Mm. I don't know what you Think about that. Yeah, yeah. It's very sort of they wanted them to do what Lampard did, but no two man's the same, are they? No. Or Rotherham as well. Rotherham. Yeah, and Gareth Ainsworth did a terrific job to to get even Wickham within touching distance. I think it was goal difference they missed out on in the end, but he's done a really good job there. No, fair, fair. Okay, that rounds off a good that that was that was a good little episode. That to be fair. Um, be sure to follow on Twitter at fifteen month pod. Uh, usually Jordan on the tweets, actually. I usually retweet myself. 
run the account because uh, you know Jordan's privatized Twitter account, so I give him give him the luxury of having the uh, official podcast account while I um, while I just promote myself using that account. Um, be sure to so as I said, send me a DM uh, if you want to uh, at the Johnny Bentley at the Johnny Bentley, um, wonderful exclusive writer for various different people. Uh, promotions, lads, uh, what do you want to promote briefly? What about that Rolex watch, Callum? You want to promote that? No, oh, Rolex. I'm not that rich. Oh, okay. So, I can't be that rich. Um, yeah. yeah, if you just want to see anything Leicester or maybe EFL or just my thoughts on random things, go for at Callum underscore Boyle underscore on Twitter. That, that's probably it, I can say. Yeah. Edmund? Uh, if you really want to read about Crystal Palace, <laughs> you can follow me at, at Edmund Brack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or at HLTCO, uh, just to just to undermine yeah. that. I think he's great, by the way. Uh, for all yeah, the Dan, Dan's a very nice guy, yeah. he's a good guy. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Like, subscribe, comment, do anything you want, and um, be sure to tune in next week. Uh, take care, everyone. Stay safe. 